when you're best friends with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's the other side of Texas with Jay Lisa. See, I told you, I told you, I knew it would just be a matter of time. It was just a matter of time uh, before there was some response to that Dallas Morning News piece, the Texas Tech A&M Vet School, and there's been plenty of reaction. Maybe I can get into some of that because we've got this packed show. I'm just grabbing my hair wondering how we're going to get this edition of Other Side of Texas done. Uh, I am your host, Jay West Texas Leeson. We are broadcasting live from the studios where Buddy Holly became famous. A little streak of independence. Though in a different realm, not uh, music, but in politics. It is well and alive today and I hope it's a delight to your ears. Your ears are while we are here. Thank you for hanging out here and thank you for telling friends that you do the same. So let's back up to June. I went through some things yesterday. I don't want to stick on the column much longer, but just of interest, you know, Dallas Morning News is in print today. We talked about it yesterday whenever it went up online. I did this. I did a sequential chronological order of what's gone down with the vet school since December 2015. Tech initiates, A&M responds. Tech initiates, A&M responds. And, and that's how it's gone for the last three years. Now, in the beginning of June, I tried. I uh, reached out to to uh, John Sharp's folks and asked them is I note that our levels are way too high right now. My apologies for that. Uh, I reached out to John Sharp's people and said, look, uh, what, I, what I don't like, to, I like to have an engaging narrative-filled column where it's you and I sitting down and me just telling you in everyday common language what is going on kind of like we do on this program with Texas politics. Uh, what What's going on, and it's very complicated, and just try to break it down to a place where, you know, before I was paying attention to all this insanity, uh, how I would have best understood it. And so that's my intent whenever I sit down to write. And so, but what I hate, I shouldn't say hate. I tell my kids never to say that word. Um, what I strongly dislike is to sit down and to write on assumption and to write on presumption. I don't like doing that. If I've got a record of behavior, then I can paradise it. I can make a parody of it. If I've got a record of facts, I can do the same thing. But with regards to uh, whenever you want to write a chronology and a history, you don't want to get into a bunch of snarky comments and so I, I tried to refrain from that but I reached out and I said look I'm going to write this piece and it's going to be I've not seen a piece like it yet and I need to understand what Chancellor John Sharp's motives are here and what seems and is growingly more and more apparent of a pattern of obstruction to stop this vet school that you're 
thoughts and texts as we get along. I promise I'll try to get to them today. 806-745-5800. The, so I reach out and I say, look, there are unanswered questions. And I need answers to questions. And I wanted to try to get the chancellor. who I said it before. I have a great deal of respect for John Sharp. Yesterday, a Mount Rushmore of Texas politicians, I don't think he's going to make the top four all time. But in, that's interesting, too. Who would your top four be? 806-745-5800. You're four on the Texas Mount Rushmore. From Sam Houston forward, uh, if we had, they have to be elected officials. Let's say that going forward who are your top four but i have that kind of regard for john sharp and i think that john sharp man he's a very astute politician and leader and otherwise i would love to sit down with some bourbon and john sharp at some point and maybe we will one day i don't think it'll be in the foreseeable future but maybe one day in the future well that was in the beginning of June, and I got a response, and it was, quote, he is unavailable for an interview on this topic at this time. And, okay, well, fine. I'm just going to have to write the piece then, because he could have relayed his, what he was thinking in the background, because all, well, all I've got is chronology and facts in front of me. i got to know what his thinking, what his thinking on all these things are. He doesn't give them, so I just go by facts and draw it out the way that I see it. And it's that Bob Duncan, the chancellor of Texas Tech University, has been one step ahead of John Sharp the whole time. And that's the way that I wrote the piece. And I even start the piece by saying that the build, the new buildings at WT, that you know we're trying to A&M's trying to build this two-lane superhighway from Canyon to A&M, those new buildings ought to be named after Bob Duncan. And, uh, well, my understanding is that a response is coming. Uh, not quite sure where it's going to land, but uh, Sharp will address uh, what I laid out in the column, and, and I look forward to reading it. I really wish that he'd come on and just talk with me about it and then publish it. At least we could have a conversation about it. Uh, that would uh, that'd be some fun radio. If I've got a... Uh, bucket list of people i want to get on this show john sharp is definitely on that list so uh, that's coming to my understanding keep you posted there and uh we'll see what happens whenever i whenever i want to go forward and say something uh, that i shouldn't say i always say uh uh so excuse me for that uh, all sorts of news today pan out from there whoa, whoa, whoa. first I've really learned something about being a dad. Let me just go from like hyper state politics into dad mode. I've learned as a dad, and I've seen this before too, the best mentors are people who really like doing something and they grab somebody's hand and say, hey, let me show you something I really enjoy. Well, what you may not know about me is that I'm a dork on 80s and 90s country on 80s and 90 90s sports and so last night me and the boys i've got twin boys who are nine jack and sam and 
I decided that it was okay to download, for those of you who don't listen very to the, to the program very often, we got rid of all the tablets in the house. And in, in lieu of, and to put down the rebellion that was coming, because we have like five old iPads laying around, taking those up, what I did was gave the kids... what I should say we my wife and I got them a Nintendo Switch and now we can monitor when they're on something and because they only have one effective screen now and we downloaded WWE and as I read the reviews on it and I did my research on it WWE for those of you who may not know is a wrestling game WWE 2018 but here's the thing is that you can unlock old wrestlers and so they've got all these new wrestlers now and it's kind of like pop music i have no idea what's going on or or new sitcoms i i I have no idea but here's what i do know i know dusty Rhodes, and i know andre the giant and i know sting and so we get into the game and we start accumulating points with all these new guys I don't know and then you accumulate points and then you can download and unlock new guys and you should have seen my kids those of you who are my age you'll really appreciate this when they saw somehow we've gone from John Sharp and uh, you know singing about Bevo or treating Bevo to this but when they saw Andre the Giant in these hyper graphics like i was on 8-bit whenever i was their age but whenever they're 64 or whatever it was but you should have seen their faces when andre the giant came down the ramp and they were like he's big as a house and then i annihilated them with andre the giant just really fun and they my boys are both like in their bedroom there's a bunch of jordan posters i'm living my childhood through them Michael Jordan posters with Spike Lee and then there's Bo Jackson posters they are convinced because we play old school Tecmo Bowl and I'm sorry if some of you don't know what that is old school Tecmo Bowl they had the same fights that I had with my friends whenever I was nine years old you can't be Bo Jackson he's too good so they're getting a big kick out of that and uh it's something I enjoy and so I come home and mess around with them and and threaten them that if they don't eat their dinner I'm going to whip them with Andre the Giant and and then we go and we have fun and then we go wrestle in the bedroom afterwards Uh, (laughs) we have a big show ahead for you here Ross Ramsey coming up he's the executive editor of the Texas Tribune big polls came out this weekend in Ross Ramsey knows about them all. We're going to talk a little bit about how Texans feel about marijuana, how Texans feel about the NFL, and just how popular Donald Trump is in the state right now. And then coming up in about 30 minutes from now, we're going to have Jody Arrington, Congressman Jody Arrington, who's seen a lot go down today, immigration votes in the House, and then presumably i've been in real estate school let me make sure that they took that immigration vote but uh, also what's going on on the senate side with the farm bill that being debated and some things that you need to know 
some amendments that have been put on to the Senate bill. We'll hear from Jody Arrington about that. But for now, we're going to take a break. Stick right here with us. Your text to 806-745-5800. And now, because it's not because of me that this is one of the best listened to segments. It's because the man who's on the other line, he is... Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune. Ross Ramsey, how are you doing? I'm fine, sir. How are you? I'm good. Uh, enough going on for you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, if you love news, and I love news, it's news heaven, but, you know, uh, it would um, smaller portions <laughs> would be yeah, nice. Yeah, you know, I didn't get into it in the first segment, but uh, what, where? The court upholds redistricting, uh, Texas redistricting. Then there's a travel ban. Then there's a ruling against unions. And and then, oh, wait, is that it? No, no. uh, Justice Kennedy is going to be retiring at the end of July. I'd say that's a full news cycle. It's a whole lot of stuff going on, and you didn't even mention the border and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's some more applause because you beat me to it. Um, so, R- Ross, tell me what what do you make of – Ross and I go back and forth for listeners. I tell them, hey, let's talk about these things. But something came to my mind as I was driving into the show. Any chance that Greg Abbott could be named to the Supreme Court? You know, I guess there's an outside chance. I don't know that he would take it. You know, Greg Abbott is a lawyer. He was initially a state district judge in Houston. Um, He came up to the Texas Supreme Court. He went from the Supreme Court to the Attorney General's office, still in in the law business, and then uh, became governor. And, you know, one of his marks as governor has been, um, you know, kind of the mark a lawyer would put on the office. You know, some of the things he's done have been pretty centered in his judicial philosophy, you know, everything from his idea of federalism and where the states and the federal government kind of fit together, and his idea of where cities and counties and school districts fit in with the state. You know, those are subdivisions of the state, and everybody's heard his take on local control and on state control. So Mm -hmm. a lot of that plays into his judicial philosophy. He's a Republican like Trump is, and, you know, theoretically he could. That said, the the president has a long list of people including a couple of Texans, Don Willett, who just went up to the mm-hmm. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals and some others, on his list of people he might put on the U.S. Supreme Court. And early indications, you know, which he could change, um, are that he's going to stick with the list that he put out before he was elected. So uh, Abbott wasn't on that list, but Willett was. Oh, hold on. <laughs> so I'm I'm struggling with that a little bit because... I, you know, I voted for Trump twice, but I never know what he's going to do. So is he, is he going to stick with that plan or not? Uh, you know, he, you know, I, I guess the way I look at these things is that's the plan until it's not. Yeah. Okay. Well, right. in my dumb and dumber mode, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, so you're saying there's a chance. Uh, let's get in. some big polls come down. University of Texas. Uh, Texas Tribune, Jim Henson and his group and you guys put together some polling and we've not talked about those this week because I wanted to save them for you 
But some big takeaways that you walked, I know that y'all poll on a, a range of issues, but things that might right. be of interest to this audience. Um, you know, we did, uh, we had horse races, as you know, uh, Cruz by five, Abbott by 12, Dan Patrick by six, wow. and Ken Paxton by one. Those are all incumbent Republicans running against Democrats. Or the thing I thought Paxton was the most interesting in those... Paxton by one. Paxton by one. The thing I thought was most interesting in those numbers was that the Democrats uh, throw the Cruz race out for a minute, throw the Cruz-O'Rourke race out for a mm-hmm. minute. In the, in the Abbott race against Valdez, the Patrick race against Collier, and the Paxton race against Nelson, each of the Democrats was either at 31 or 32 percent, constant number right across the board. The Republicans fell off as you went from Abbott to Patrick to Paxton. Part of that is that as you go down the ballot, you know, as well as we know these people, a lot of Texans just don't pay attention to this stuff. Um, and so, you know, as you go further down the ballot, even if you're a statewide elected official, more and more people don't know your name. And so that's part of this. And, you know, part of it is that, you know, we're uh, months before an election, we polled registered voters and not likely voters. It's a little too early to say this is a likely voter and that's not. But we do know that in gubernatorial years, only about 34 or 35% of registered voters actually vote. So something, just a nudge over a third of the pool will actually vote in November. And it tends to be a more Republican vote than what you see in a generalized spring poll like this. So so those were interesting, the, the horse races. Um, Donald Trump is astonishingly popular with Republicans. And I say astonishingly because most presidents don't poll this way with their own party's voters. You know, Bush, Bush did after 9-11. Obama uh, never really did, but, you know, something on the order of 88% of Texas Republicans say they have a favorable attitude about Donald Trump. And so um, if you look at his overall numbers in Texas, they're strong, but it's really because the Republicans are so strongly behind him. And that shows up in numbers that, you know, where Republicans aren't behaving like Republicans normally might be expected to. They're usually law and order people. They're down on the FBI. They're down on the Mueller investigation. Um, and part of that is because those are counterposed against the guy they're holding popular right now. Uh, so that was all interesting. Uh, we polled a lot on gun laws and on you know what people think were the causes for uh, the recent, most recent shootings in schools and in churches. Um, and two things came up, poor parenting, mental health, and stricter gun laws. I think I guess that's three things. The top two were poor parenting and stricter gun laws. There was a partisan break in there. Republicans were more likely to say poor parenting. Democrats more likely to say um, loose gun laws. Uh, but both sides overlapped for different reasons on saying you know mental health is a big issue there. So that was interesting. And then we asked about a couple of other issues. Marijuana is popular in Texas. Fifty-three percent would make it legal for recreational use. This is something we've been tracking for several years, and you know when we initially started tracking it, we have we have four possible answers. When should marijuana be legalized in Texas? One answer is never. One is for medical purposes only. One is small amounts for any use, and the other one is large amounts or any amount for any use. When we first started doing this a few years ago, everybody was clustered around never and medical marijuana only. And then they were clustered around medical marijuana and small amounts. And now 
53% say small amounts or any amounts for any use. So the state's edging the same way the country is a little bit more slowly, but I thought that was interesting. And then the last one that I'll mention here is the National Football League. You know, we're still football crazy, but the NFL isn't too popular right now in Texas. And it turns out that the one group uh, that still has high regard for the NFL is black Texans, uh, much more likely than whites or Hispanics to say they have a favorable impression of the National Football League. Hmm. Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune, on his Wednesday segment here. Some things that pop out to me there. Well, tell me about family separations, too. How how'd that go down? Uh, Texans don't like that, and it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, one of the highest-rated issues when you ask Texans what's the most important issue facing uh, the state, it's uh, two... Two issues go to the top, and they're closely related. One is immigration, and one is border security. And that's been that way for a long time and remains that way. But when we ask them, what do you think of these family separations, Uh, 57% said they don't like these. And importantly, you know, what happened here was Democrats were wildly against this stuff. Republicans were split. Men were for it. Women were against it. But if you were watching various public officials, particularly on the Republican side, initially react to this and then change direction, I think they were seeing in their own polling what we saw in ours, and that was that Republicans remain, you know, pretty strict about immigration and pretty strong in their views about it, but they don't like this family separation stuff, and women in particular, who are particularly important in an election year, don't like it at all. Yeah. So how does this play then into... The Texas Attorney General's race, because last week, whenever you were on, we talked about the massive sea change over the last 24, 36 hours with people coming out. I think Ted Cruz and then the governor followed and others saying, you know, whether or not the Congress needs to fix it, that's a side issue. They all called it along the terms of disgusting, that this is deplorable, we've got to stop this practice and right. so I, I see Justin Nelson. He is a name that people may not recognize. He's running for attorney general as a Democrat. But Paxson, I think, in a lot of ways, was the one with his pants left down on this because he doubled down on it. And then within the next day, everybody switched sides. You say that that race is within one point based upon the polling findings. What's what's what do you think Paxton needs to do from here? I don't, I don't know that this is going to play forward. I don't know that immigration or that family separations are going to be the issue that turns in that race. They might be, but I you know I don't think you can say that yet. Yeah, I think but Ross, let me, just, let me just interrupt. Based upon the virtue of the Tribune's own reporting, now it's a big cluster, right? So okay, now we right. aren't going to separate these families anymore, but, oh, where's my kid? Is is my kid in Fort Worth? Is my kid in Florida? Are they in, uh, I think I read something the other day about Detroit or somewhere up north. Now right. you've got all that fallout, and reporters are going to be eating that alive over the next months to come. I think that's right. I just don't know that that's going to be the issue in the attorney general's race. Okay. I don't know that you can transplant it to that. It may turn out to be that. But I don't know that you can see that from here. And I can tell you that when we were putting this poll together, you know, three or four weeks ago, the issue we were all talking about was guns. Our subject matter changes 
very quickly in politics right now. That's one of the things that Donald Trump has been, um, that this Trump administration has been noted for, is their ability to change the subject. So to say that I know the subject today that we're going to be talking about when people are going to the polls early in October and then on Election Day in November um, <laughs> would make me quite a forecast. When it, when it changes just two weeks or three weeks from when topics are right. put on the board. So, uh, and then, you know, within that, I mean, you know, even if the immigration story and the family separations is a sustained story through the elections, whether that's going to be the thing that turns the Texas Attorney General's race or that race over here or this race over there is also really hard to predict. Just, you know, it's hard to say which way that's going to catch fire and who's going to be near it when it does. But were you surprised when you saw the numbers come in? Assuming the numbers are right, from my vantage point, we've talked for some time about how long there it's been since there was a democratically, uh, dem, not a democratically, but a Democrat elected to a statewide office in Texas. These mm-hmm. numbers are closer than anything you must have seen in the last 15 years, right? Yeah, they're closer. So the numbers are the numbers get closer. The the caveats I'll put on that. You know, I guess first I'll say I don't disagree with anything you've said, but the caveats are. It's the first time you ever said that, Ross, in this segment. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know, give the give the give the credit where it's due, right? All right, um, I'll take it. the The caveats are that it's very early. That the that the November numbers, like I said, when you get down to likely voters as opposed to registered voters. The numbers in, in recent years have tended to be more to, to be a little bit redder in November than they are in these spring polls. Here's mm-hmm. an example. Four years ago, when we polled the governor's race between Greg Abbott and Wendy Davis, then we got the same numbers we got for Abbott and Valdez this year. They were only 12 points apart. That race ended up being a 20 or 21 point race in Abbott's favor. Mm-hmm. It, it opens up, it, it opened red. Um, the if I was, you know, in Paxton's shop, I would be concerned about this. You know, there's there's two things here. One of them is that you're more or less even with the Democrat. The other thing, and I think this would be concerning, is that you're more or less even with nobody. You know, about a third of voters said Paxton, or something just less than a third, just less than a third said Nelson, and just less than a third said, I haven't made up my mind on that race yet. Yeah. I haven't picked one of, one or the other of those guys. And if you're an incumbent, that's, you know, that's not a great sign. Uh, you know, the advantage in these things is with the incumbent and the advantage over the past 24 years, 27 years, has been with the Republicans. So we'll see how it develops. But it's hard to predict what issue is going to turn in that race, and it's hard to predict, you know, if Nelson's going to get some traction or if, if Paxton's going to, you know, reassert himself or how that's going to go. Yeah. So Ross Ramsey, following me along at Ross Ramsey on Twitter, uh, one last thing. I don't like to drag you into the federal huh. picture, but, but you will, right? Nor do I like to be <laughs> drugged into that. But so far as it bears upon, and specifically with the Cruz race and some house races outside of West Texas for sure, but this Kennedy, Justice Kennedy stepping down, is that could play into these races and people saying. I don't, well, let me just make one assumption, that this is not going to get done before the midterms. Let's just say it's not done. That's going to play into these races, right, about keeping majorities so that a uh, quote-unquote conservative can be appointed to the Supreme Court. 
I think, you know, I think a couple of things about that. I think that the Republicans in Congress, Mitch McConnell and company in the Senate, are going to push very hard to get this done before the midterm so that they're sure that they have the numbers that they've got today and not the numbers that they're afraid of after the midterm. Um, their hand is stronger now than it might be after the election, so they'll try to play it into their hand now. The other thing is I think a lot of Republican voters, however they feel about president or this member of Congress or that one or anything else, would like to see a another conservative on the U.S. Supreme Court. And, you know, that might sway their votes in ways that, you know, if Kennedy had remained and that wasn't an issue, you know, they might have, you know, stayed home or voted some other way. But a lot of people, um, particularly some of the activists on the on the conservative end of the spectrum, have been motivated over the last couple of years by the chance of getting a majority on the U.S. Supreme Court and getting, you know, some constancy there that they haven't seen in the White House going back and forth or in Congress going back and forth. So I actually think the Stevens um, resignation could motivate a lot of conservatives who were otherwise, um, you know, on the fence in this race or that one. Yeah. Ross Ramsey is with us here on these Wednesdays, and he puts out a column, an analysis, I should say, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. goes up about 12.01 a.m. each day. Willett, born in 1966. So we're looking at, what, 34 plus 18? I mean, he could be on that court for a very long time. If that he's were to happen. roughly the age. I think this is right. He's roughly the age John Roberts was when he was nominated to the court. Okay. Well, that's putting age on me. He is Ross Ramsey. <laughs> I'm not going to bring up your age, buddy. Appreciate your contribution. I appreciate here. it. All right. We'll mull on it. He is Ross Ramsey again. You can follow him there at Ross Ramsey on Twitter. Howdy, Jay. West Texas Leeson here. I'm going to tell you about my friends at Flint Boot and Hat. They've been building hats since 1994 and repairing boots, I guess, since forever. My dog chewed up my ostrich boots. Jared and his guys replaced the heel, made them look new again, put new pulls on, and at a super affordable price, they've resold my boots and they build great hats. Love these guys. Go check them out. 3035 34th Street or Flint Boot and Hat Shop at Flint and 34th Street. See more at FlintHat.com. Molded out of red clay and baked in the West Texas sun to perfection is the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. Let your hair down and wear something pretty. Let me just say, go random for just a minute. When you stop eating carbs and then summer sets in, you go to the mountains, you catch a trout and then, or mini trout, and then you start reduplicating the trout into different meals. You know, at first night you put it in foil and butter and salt. And then the next day, there's still some left because my little nine-year-old boy picked like a 19, 20-inch trout up out of the water, not with his hands, with a 36-inch rod. But then you're like, well, man, how great would that be with a little bit of pico, some salsa, 
in a in a tortilla and you're like well i can't eat that and then you think i'm i'm in the mountains i can and then like i've been taking real estate courses this week just get it and maybe something will come of it and across the street is this classic lubbock burrito restaurant uh, mexican food restaurant but they know them for the burritos <sighs> boy all of a sudden you start to feel that waistline pick up a little bit and i can't pick it up <sighs> my show can talk about it uh right now Bray, let me see if this is breaking news uh senate leaders are going to work through the night to reach a deal on the farm bill a big hang-up right now is with rubio uh in on cuba policy rubio and menendez the beef is that uh senator Heikamp, and this is according to Catherine boudreau who if you live out in rural parts of texas and you have a twitter account you ought to follow she's c-e-b-o-u-d-r-e-a-u c-e boudreau uh, Senator Heikamp allowing USDA, USDA trade promotion dollars to be spent in Cuba and Rubio and Ted Cruz are uh, very opposed to that. Uh, McConnell has set in motion a vote for what could lead up to Friday. So we could have the farm bill hanging out in the Senate. We'll get into that more with Congressman Arrington in just a moment. I mentioned with Ross Ramsey, uh, the Supreme Court deals major blow to public sector unions. Supreme Court dealt a major blow. Hold on. Text that I meant to jump in with here. There is no way Paxton loses. Well, hey listen there's no way a lot i'm not actively rooting for for ken paxton to lose i think that it i think that pack let me just say it this way ken paxton's problems as the chief law enforcement officer of texas are brought upon him by ken paxton paxton is his own worst political enemy and so somebody like justin nelson i mean Honestly, if you're in a room, it, if you're in a room tomorrow, if, tomorrow whenever you're in the cubicles, just holler out, who's heard of Justin Nelson? And maybe like half a person, is one person is going to kind of raise their hands. And that to say that Paxton's political problem is Paxton. And that's the way it's played out since he was first elected. And then as he was re-elected. And... You know, people find out, whoa, whoa, he did what? You know, he sold what? And he did what? And he misled people how? Through legal capacity, you, go, you just have to go look all it up. Just search, just search Ken Paxton, the land, and McKinney, and indictments. And, and you'll find out what, it, that's, that's Paxton's problem, is that I think, the hard line, like I'm going to the convention, I'm going to the GOP state convention, and I'm going to get the flags, and I'm going to get my picture taken with. So, like those people are hardliners for Paxton, but outside of those people, you know that ten thousand whatever it is, 
there's not a lot of sympathy for Ken Paxton here. So, yeah, Texter, I think that Paxton's problems are brought about himself. The Supreme Court dealt a major blow to the public sector unions on Wednesday in a case that could share their financial structure and undermine their future stability. This has been an instance in Texas in which the question's been raised, should people be required to pay into unions? And that's why I mention it here. Not to go on... I'm really beginning to get freaked out about... I, I'm, I shouldn't say freaked out. I'm becoming concerned. You know, this idea that we're entering a soft civil war. I see people walking out of Trump rallies getting hit with eggs. You've got Mitch McConnell's wife under uh, what, the secretary... But I can't remember her name. But getting confronted on the street, like we're entering a very contentious time. And I'm really beginning to get concerned about these. The ruling was five to four, and it struck down a 1977 law that required employees to pay so called fair share fees. Uh, and it went along ideological lines with conservative justice Samuel Alito writing the majority opinion. So it's hard to estimate how many billions of dollars have been taken from non-members and transferred to public sector unions in violation of the First Amendment. Those unconstitutional exactions cannot be allowed to continue indefinitely, and so they weren't. But of all the little towns in West Texas, you can't understand just how, how they ride it out. David Blake Terrell did have a text yesterday I didn't get to, and that is David Blake Terrell. You can go download Prairie Town, and I advise you do, and, and listen to lyrics. Don't be like some brain-numb teenager listening to whatever music and doesn't listen to lyrics. Uh, that's a great song, and David Blake Terrell did a great job with it. They're on uh, the albums by the same title, Prairie Town. I don't get any cuts of it. I just like to promote people who put out good things about other side of Texas. And speaking of people doing some good things in Lubbock and other side of Texas, Lubbock File Room brings you this segment providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to Lubbock. Don't let those competitors and crooks get into your trash can, your dumpster, and find a bunch of trade secrets and hr forms that you don't want them to come across you can call lubbock file room serving lubbock's and the surrounding area since 1992 for a free and hassle-free estimate give them a call 806-744-7666 that's 806-74666 lubbockfileroom.com well i've got errington people scrambling right now he's in a committee meeting i'm told and we'll have to figure out how that's going you know freshman member you can't just get up and leave well i suppose they knew how important this program was and how widely talked about it is maybe maybe the chairman would give errington a pass but we're going to watch those phone lines and see if he hold on not him 
Okay. Thought maybe that's him chiming in. So uh, we're waiting on Arrington. Let me see the backup plans I've got here. Justice Anthony Kennedy to retire from the Supreme Court. Justice Anthony Kennedy, a conservative who provided key... Whoa! That's a lead there. Some people might scratch their heads. A conservative. And maybe Kennedy... Here's the deal. Whenever I talk to people and I try to figure out where they are on the political continuum, what I hear from a lot of people is I was conservative... 20 years ago i don't really know what i am now and i hear people let me just take point of privilege and talk about lubbock for just a moment i hear people say well lubbock's it's it's liberal now and i'm thinking what what are you are you kidding me like you've heard me say this before but there are hold on i'll i'll make this point and then i'll introduce the congressman in my estimation there are more aborigines in lubbock than there are liberals so let's just now let's go from that perspective but that's where i'll cut off the point he is congressman of the 19th district of texas he is jody errington how you doing hey bird how are you good to be with you uh we pulled you pulled you out of a meeting i understand we're just trying to solve the uh the issue of our national debt but other than that just uh, you know just another meeting just, just uh, now we're on the joint. We're, we're on the joint select committee uh, meeting. I mean, uh, a committee to solve uh, the budget dysfunction and appropriation process dysfunction, so we can actually get a budget that uh, works and keep the government from shutting down and having CRs and hurting, you know, taxpayers, the military, and everybody else. So anyway. Uh, I'm 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 loaded for bear now. Now I'm at, now I'm mad. <laughs> well, <laughs> triggered at somebody else. Would you just just, <laughs> just don't go off on me? So listen, or we can go. It's your call. We we've, we've gone before. Uh, tell me, whenever you heard the Kennedy news today, where were you and what was the response? Are you there? We lose them. He's still on. Anybody? Anybody got anything? Sorry, I'm just, I'm, you're cutting in and out. I'm sorry, Jay. I'm trying to get out of the Capitol. There's, it's, it's spotty. No, it's all right. I understand. What was it? Big concrete walls. I was asking you what, where were you today? Whenever you heard the news about Justice Anthony Kennedy? Oh yeah. Well, I was, it was, I was on the floor of the house. And everybody was buzzing about it, and um, and uh, so it's a big deal. It's obviously a huge deal and an opportunity. And so, um, just if anybody questions, just look at the recent court cases from the wet cake case to uh, the uh, the recent cases on on union activities and, and forcing people to pay union dues, and um, uh, the list goes on. Uh, this is probably the most important uh, part of having a Republican and Donald Trump as president of the United States, if you ask me. So, yeah, uh, it's huge news. Yeah. Uh, so, certainly, as you begin, I mean, it just shakes the political ground right now. We're about to get into the farm bill, but all of a sudden, 
that becomes the big midterms issue. Am I wrong? I'm not talking about from your perspective. I'm talking about from the Capitol's perspective in all your cohorts in the House and the Senate. All of a sudden, that becomes the red meat out there as as a new appointment. Well, yeah. I don't think anything is shaping culture um, more than maybe you have the media. I'd, I'd certainly put that out there. I'm not, I'm not saying in a positive way, but I think the courts and activist courts throughout the country, and there's about a third that will be turned that will turn over. But the Supreme Court ultimately is making these decisions, and um, you know we've seen what Gorsuch has brought to the table already and just not I don't think from a long term impact I don't think there's a bigger opportunity for folks who are strict constructionist or constitutionalist or all kinds of ways to say it my my point is we want people to interpret the law as it relates to the constitution and the original intent of the founders and not make policy from the bench uh, and not make policy and justify that that's just We've evolved. That we're more we've progressed. Or uh, culture's ready for this or that. That's just not. That's usurping the will of the people. And I think that's what's gotten a lot of folks uh, angry. And I think social issues, quite frankly, could be meted out at the state level and would keep. It would actually um, mitigate the divisiveness in this country. I think a lot of the the divisiveness comes from uh, the Supreme Court's. Uh, decision making and error um, on social issues that are not um, enumerated in the Constitution, except that the article, except for you know um, uh, the Tenth Amendment, where states should make that decision. I think we'd all get along better, and no. Texas could do what Texas wants to do for their families, culture, and values, and Massachusetts and the left and right coast could do what they want to do. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Calls coming in, and we're not taking calls. We want to get in with this here with the congressman. I don't, and by the way, I should say ally calling, but um, how long we got you here for, congressman? I'll stay with you. How long are we going to be on your show tonight? Well, we're coming up, but we're going to go overtime with you here. So I'm thinking maybe yeah, 10 I'll, minutes. I'll stay, I'll, stay, I'll stay as long as, okay. you'll, as, long as you'll have me. Well, I've, got no, I've got nothing, no more meetings. That's kind of you. Uh, so let me start with this. The argument I hear, and this is from long-timers, right, that you pass the House bill, the farm bill out of the House, 213 to 211, and it didn't take in one vote from the other side people will say that this is an exercise in academics that there's no way the house's version is going to come through and then on top of that the senate will not let the work requirements in it won't do anything about snap uh what what's your pushback there whenever people are you you know you've never seen a farm bill passed without one vote from the other side? Well, I think the reality is you have to get the Democrats in the Senate because of their 60-vote rule, Mm -hmm. culture. Uh, And my position on that is you might as well put a marker that is 
a bill that is as conservative as you can make it uh, in the House. We've had a hard time getting Republicans, uh, some of the most conservative Republicans, to support a farm bill. But because we have uh, mandatory work requirement reforms in uh, food stamp program, we actually have brought enough over to pass it. I think that's actually the best way to do it because uh, in this case, because you'll never get welfare reform and you'll always have the criticism out there that, and I say this to my farmers, nobody wants and appreciates the need to restore a work ethic in this country and the dignity of work uh, more than folks who are in agriculture. It's part of the culture of agriculture. But um, I, I think that often our farmers and ranchers, our, our producers are blamed for never taking on uh, and, and the reforms that are needed for welfare programs like food stamps, and that we continue to perpetuate a broken welfare system that traps people in a cycle of dependence and poverty because we're so desperate to get a farm or desperate to get uh, the tools that they need to, to keep uh, us fed and to keep a viable ag economy in this country. I think there's some proof to that, but we finally got something out where we've set a, a marker of, of a strong conservative bill that now the Senate, they'll do their thing. They won't, they won't touch a food stamp program, which is 85% of a farm bill's funding over $70 billion. Um, but, but we're going to conference it, and now you've got a place to negotiate at least there, and the president said he won't sign it if there isn't uh, some welfare-to-work reforms. So I think it is going to bode well ultimately. It just won't be as strong as the House, but the least there will be something in there. Folks can't blame, you know, farmers and those who are advocates for good farm policy no. and a strong farm bill for, uh, you know, for not for, for, for passing once in for much-needed and long-overdue reforms to SNAP. Okay, Congressman, here's here's how I analyze that. Let's say the Senate does make some sort of concession on work requirements. It, that becomes the game then. The Senate must make some sort of concession on work requirements, but Pat Roberts, who chairman of Senate Ag, has said he's not willing to take it up. Because if it doesn't come back with work requirements, those most conservative members that you referred to have indicated that they will not be on board for a farm bill. So if it comes back from conference, which for listeners, when the Senate appoints a few members and the House appoints a few members, they sit down, hash things out, take the conference bill back to both houses, both chambers, and then they vote on it. But if they... If they come back with work requirements, then that's a miracle on the Senate side. If they don't, it seems to me that it's a miracle on the House side that it passes. Yeah, I I think um, I think you're going to peel off some Republicans because work requirements will be diluted um, on account of having conferenced a Senate bill with no SNAP reforms or food stamp reform and a House bill that has meaningful SNAP reforms. But, but if, you have, if you try to get a bipartisan farm bill in this climate, in the midterm elections, and in this very heated, overheated, really political climate, I think you're gonna get, uh, you're gonna get what the Senate did, which is no 
welfare to work reforms, and you just, you know, you, you, you just uh, missed an opportunity where you have 7 million surplus jobs in this country, and the same number, 7 million, adult males, not even talking about females, age 20 to 50, who are capable but not working and receiving government assistance. Yeah. It's just wrong. It's but, wrong on every level. And there is a farmer in West Texas that wouldn't be willing to risk and push and have a fight to make sure we get it right down the line. And I think we will. I just don't think it will be as strong as the House, but we'll get enough that we'll bring some Democrats on and ultimately we'll get it passed. Uh, Congressman, there will be people who push back and say, why is it that we have to resolve welfare reform within the farm bill why can't we take up welfare reform outside of the farm bill and have that debate at a later time because that is the strategy for status quo i mean it's it's you got the committee of jurisdiction one of the largest welfare programs being food stamps the farm bills open We've got tax reform, regulatory uh, relief, and the economy's growing now. Republicans are in charge. Um, if we don't do it, I just don't see it happening. Now, we're going to work on temporary assistance for needy families. Uh, that jurisdiction isn't the Agriculture Committee. It's Ways and Means. But they're doing the same thing, tightening up uh, work requirements and, and other things to... Uh, to help get folks off the sidelines. So I, I think that the, here's the great thing for me, from my perspective, the West Texas common sense conservative, is that we agriculture and the Ag Committee uh, is leading the way in welfare to work reforms. That's pretty awesome. I don't think that would happen, or I don't know that it has in recent history, if, if ever. Usually it's led out of ways and means and other, uh, other committees, but in this case, uh, Ag Committee, uh, led by Chairman Conaway, uh, is doing, you know, just, just we're just putting some country logic. We're putting some ag rationality to, uh, to the, the largest program in fund, funding in the Farm Bill. And, and, and listen, we're talking about 20 hours a week. And, and if we don't have the training, we're going to plow all the savings into training people so that they have the tools to, to, to access opportunities in the marketplace. That is generous, and, it, and, it, and, and anybody that opposes that, I, I just question the sincerity of whether or not, you know, whether they're being political, purely political, as opposed to trying to actually move our country yep. in the right direction he is congressman jody errington let's plow through a few more things over the next couple of minutes immigration did you take immigration up today or not we had our second immigration vote you know the first one we called it the last mccall bill um and it was the most conservative of the two and i was a co-sponsor and I, of course i voted for that one uh two days ago and then last week rather and then uh, today we took the more moderate compromise bill up but it was so diluted I, I you got the two big drivers uh, right now for uh, illegal immigration and the flow of illegals into this country number one folks who are here illegally and it's, it's a supply and demand people want in other countries in Central and South America better opportunities for their families mm -hmm. they get it 
but there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. And as long as we that better life, whether it's education or healthcare services, uh, other social services, and a job, man, you can't build a wall so high that they you can keep them out. They'll dig tunnels. They'll come around it. They'll big build ladders. It's just the way uh, it's hum- of human nature. So we have to turn that magnet off. We did it in the first good lab bill that I voted for. We didn't do it in the uh, compromise. The other piece was, uh, and, and by the way, with that E-Verify, which is the way you would prevent employers from hiring people here illegally, we had an H2C agriculture guest worker fix that would have been great for agriculture, especially the dairy, and that was in the first good land. The second piece that was missing from the compromise bill was uh, chain migration. We left too many links in the chain for chain migration. What does that mean? It means... The facts are 10 million people have come to this country over the last 10 years through extended family relationships. And uh, that's 2,000 a day that come from because of familial ties. We need a merit system. I, I want to keep the nuclear family together, Jay. I just don't think the parents that brought the folks here illegally that created the DACA problem uh, ought to be able to be sponsored by their kids so they have a pathway to citizenship. I don't have a problem with the kids. They were brought here by no fault of their own. I have a problem with reaching back and bringing parents and giving uh, siblings uh, the same opportunities outside of the legal immigration process. And okay. that was resolved, and I can't support that. And uh, so that's where we came out today. And, and the, vote was t- it was, the vote was terrible. I mean, it was... A little over what, what, what you, you probably was it a hundred and anyway we got about a hundred a little over a hundred votes in support of it but uh, the good lap bill on the other hand got a hundred and ninety three yeah so we need to we need to go back to the good lap bill and and modify that and tweak it so that we can bring some more um, instead of trying to get this other bill to where it's acceptable to conservatives and and uh, I just don't think it's uh, we're ever going to get there by by working it from that end. Okay, so here's here's my look at your district, and not necessarily the east side, but as, especially as you get in the west side, further into Lubbock, off the Cap Rock, and then north of Lubbock, is that I can just imagine Larry Combest sitting there, right? So Larry Combest sitting there three decades ago and thinking about immigration and the need for reform whenever agriculture cotton production i should say uh, so production agriculture as it relates to cotton much less mechanized than it is now and he would be in a different situation i would think representing cotton and cotton producers in his district than you are today because you don't need that labor to the extent that you did unless you're overcome with pigweed now i ask that question to say an emerging market in your district are the dairy producers and you've got dairy producers saying look you know i've heard guys say i pulled sid miller aside and i got in his face and i said stop texas agriculture commissioner sid miller stop being so bombastic about immigration because if my cows don't get milked by people who are migrating, then those cows are going to die. And then you're going to have a real problem. And that's not just one or two. That's 
a lot of dairies, especially as you get up, and then we'd have to have Mac Thornberry on, right, to talk about the rest of this uh, up in the panhandle. But surely the dairy guys are coming to you, Congressman, and saying, look, there's got to be some modicum approach. Maybe the moderate approach on reform is the way to go here. Listen, I support and was working with Chairman Goodlatte of Judiciary for a fix to the ag program. It doesn't even work for the produce guys, for the seasonal guys, let alone for the year-round operations like we find in the dairy industry. That's a burgeoning uh, industry and job creation opportunity for West Texas, and we've seen these guys migrate to to the Panhandle and South Plains. It's a great thing, and I, and these guys are these are great people, and and we want to keep that part of agriculture viable. I mean, but I've been working on this because I believe that we can find uh, solutions to the legal process that isn't working, not just securing the border and, and, and enforcing the laws of this land and closing loopholes on the illegal side. We need it because rural America can't attract enough labor. There's just tremendous shortage. I'm all for getting folks off the sidelines with welfare to work, but even so, you're not going to be able to fill those jobs. And uh, it's a win-win, Jay. These folks, most of these folks, they're not even looking to become American citizens. This is a guest work. It's a temporary visa. It, it, they help us get the economy going and uh, meet the demands as we grow. Hopefully we open up new markets and we continue to grow. And they go back to their families and they send money back and they can have the better opportunities for their families and build a middle class in Mexico and other countries. So I have no, I mean, I'm I'm all in for that H2C fix that's, that was in the Goodlap bill that I voted for. And, you know, they, they put it in that moderate bill, and then they took it out. When they put that in there with E-Verify, I was leaning yes. But uh, hmm. you know, I hadn't decided, but I was leaning into it. Then they took it out. So, yeah, you're right. That's a big deal. Um, we and 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 I I think we have assurance, and I say think because we're gonna. There's so many. There's been so many discussions in, in the last couple of weeks on immigration, but um, at one point we got assurance that we will move a standalone bill on this issue of H2C and the fix for ad guest workers, along with E-Verify, and and maybe we can get it done that way but they need it it is uh, it, they're hurting in a bad yeah. way and we got and, 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 and we've got to enforce the law uh, but we've got to fix the broken parts so that it will work where it needs to work like in 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 the ag space in, in west area. you're in bonus time here with congressman Jody Arrington a couple more <laughs> questions here assurance you talk about assurance the last time you're on with me you said that the I brought up to you the sorghum guys and the pork guys and these trade wars that are escalating and the exposure. Have you heard anything further? I believe last time you were on, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the president gave you assurances that those guys were going to be covered and any sort of losses that they took on uh, being on the, the wrong side of the trade war. Have you been given further assurances from the administration since then? I was with U.S. Trade Rep Ambassador uh, Lighthizer uh, today, this morning, and uh, I just believe the president's doing 
exactly what I would do if I were president. If I, I, I hope I'd have the courage he has because most presidents really will would cave to the political pressure, including that pressure from agriculture. Now, look, I don't want ag to get caught up in this and, and have unintended consequences. We're already seeing that, and it's not good. It's not fun. It's part of the immediate short-term pain that's going to happen if you're going to challenge the big cheaters of China, uh, and nobody has, nobody will, WTO certainly hasn't. We've seen the effects of that in cotton. We used to be number one, we're number three, because these guys don't play the same rules, and they cheat. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yes, to, to get to your uh, specific question, the president assured me and others that he would take care of our, of our ag producers uh, who would uh, and mitigate the fallout. Uh, now, he, he, I'm not saying he's uh, doing everything right in how he applies tariffs and the and some of the rhetoric. I'm saying his challenging China and 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 his pushback and holding them accountable uh, is the right thing to do. Uh, we gave more flexibility and authority to Secretary Purdue for this reason to help mitigate and to help support uh, ag. Uh, segments of the ag industry that are affected by this. It's just like the tools that were used to help cotton when we did the, uh, uh, it was the last administration actually that did this, but when they, after this cotton was taken out of the safety net and they had a really bad next year, they were given the ginning assistance. That's part, uh, that, that comes out of the same sort of disaster relief program but we're giving them more flexibility, more tools to help. I'm, I know the president is committed to, to making sure that we um, give a little cushion and support uh, and, a, and a little bit of runway. Yeah, Congressman, look, we get this, on the other side. Look, you're talking. I brought this up earlier. You're talking to a two. I, I voted for Trump in the primary, and then of course in the general. But whenever I hear you, it's not that I don't believe you. I do believe you. I do believe that the that the administration has made assurances to you, as you said it, to you as well as ag producers, that it will help mitigate damages. But have they done that yet with steel? So there are people listening who would wonder, well, has he done it in other sectors yet? And I don't think he's done it with steel yet, has he? No, he hasn't done it with steel or aluminum. But those are the, those are the, um, those are the, subjects of of the discussions with China, those are the products that are um, in direct negotiation and discussion uh, and those are the, the very products that the president is trying to remedy that, that we don't produce enough, that we can't because we can't compete with state-sponsored production facilities and mm-hmm. and, and uh, that, that China's circumventing uh, the rules by dumping cheap and distorting the markets as a result. That's in the direct negotiation. I mean, the agriculture uh, producers and products are not in direct negotiation. They're just the victims of this because China wants to hit us where it hurts and cause us enough political the president will back off. Yeah. So... I don't. I, 
I mean, there's going to be a little bit of a reset. I mean, we're we're addicted to cheap product. We're addicted to cheap product, and we've traded cheap product that we claim. And, and and in some ways, it's true. It's good for the consumer, but you know, we could make this argument on agriculture, except for the fact that you need to have ag independence for national security. Well, you need to have aluminum and steel production facilities if you're going to make war machines. The, the, the very few smeltering for aluminum exist in this world except for China, and there's a reason they're doing it. These guys want to win. The, 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 they want to be the superpower. They want to have the empire without firing. And uh, they take a very long-term view of things. We don't. Um, we've got to keep the pressure on them and trust that the president will do everything he can to support agriculture our producers at the same time here's the key here's the key Jay and I've said this to the president finish NAFTA get it done take pressure off of our producers uh, that, and, and, and there are too many balls in there get it done get it done right make the improvements and then do as many free trade deals in the Asia Pacific region as you can that's the way to stick it to China do more free trade and open up more markets for our producers and I, I, I truly believe that's the free market approach to this. But at the same time, you know, you've got every tool in the tool belt, including tariffs. You want to use them. You want to be targeted and measured. But, man, when you've you got to use them sometimes, and I think the president's doing the right thing. All right. So we'll move away from ductile metals to uh, two <laughs> things. Look, two things that would have given me heartburn if I were you over the last 24 hours. One is i don't understand what ted cruz is up to here i mean we're going to hold up mcconnell saying the senate version of the bill may leak into friday because we're caught up on promotional dollars going into cuba uh quick give me about 10 seconds there what's your take there on what cruz is up to ted cruz senator in the senate ask the question i'm jay and i'm sorry cruz uh, is opposing Senator Heidkamp's measure that would put promotional dollars into Cuba for USDA market development and trade promotion. And that is beginning, according to Politico, uh, Politico Ag, that is stalling the Senate version of the Farm Bill. Well, I'm not going to comment on something I don't know okay. about. Well, I, let me move over to the I know we've taken you over time, so let me move over to the next one. Okay. This is something you will know something about. The <laughs> Chuck Grassley today, Iowa senator, senior senator, says that he has an amendment on the Senate Farm Bill that would only would let only, as he calls it, real farmers receive uh, insurance money that you have to be in labor in order to receive insurance you can't be a stakeholder at any level and I watched the responses to his tweet and so many farmers chiming in saying this is crazy talk Uh, most of us are incorporated we aren't on K Street you know wearing Colhans we are out in the fields <laughs> and we are incorporated and we're multi-generational farms uh 
this could pose a real problem as you go into negotiations, right? Assuming that Grassley's amendment stays on. And we talked well, about this yesterday with Steve Perrette and that this could be a real problem for family farms in West Texas, cotton especially. Well, it, well, it, it would. Uh, I think this is a perennial amendment and issue for Mr. Grassley. Uh, You've you got to take it seriously, but it hasn't, um, it, it hasn't uh, seen the light of day yet in terms of the law of the land because it just, you know, his definition of the real farmer has changed from, you know, 50 years ago, um, uh, maybe where he's getting his data. I don't know. But you can't make a living as a farmer without being at a certain threshold. The agriculture uh, producers are sophisticated business people, and you're right, most of them are in- incorporated, and or many of them are. I don't know that most of them are. Uh, probably most of them are, are passed through, but regardless, they're, I have to give enough accommodation to the s- smaller uh, operators and the young farmers and the, and the, uh, the uh, new farmers i think we put some uh, programs to help folks because they don't have the equity like someone that's been in the business for a while and multiple generations but no i mean it it, it doesn't make any sense because it's not the reality of the ag industry in terms of the size of ag operations today and i don't think we want to pick winners and losers i mean there are plenty of operations there it's not like you have an oligarchy like in the uh, healthcare insurance case. So I, I don't think he's going to fail. It's something he always brings up and it causes us heartburn, but um, there are enough, the majority of the folks in the act that he both Senate and House oppose Grassley's amendment, and um, you're not going to see that um, in the final bill. I don't think you'll see it in the uh, make it in into to the conference committee. Yeah, I just I wonder how. I mean, he says that Stabenow, Debbie Stabenow, ranking member, and uh, Chairman Roberts, Kansas, that they allowed his amendment. It just it's dumbfounding to me. We'll see how it all plays out. I will say this. You know, your thing about running for office back in. 16 running for Congress that we're a world different than we were then and I know that we're dealing in a whirlwind right now but boy we didn't we didn't have anything back then and I think that speaks yeah. to some of your leadership and I know I'll push you on some questions here but I, the greater context is that regardless of what happens with this farm bill uh, cotton a 5 billion dollar industry with a 100 mile radius of Lubbock is in much better keeping than it was by the time that you came in. And I'm not giving you all the credit for that. There are a lot of people who are listening and a lot of people who have put in efforts, but you've certainly helped that, and you'd be commended for it, Congressman. Well, Jay, you're, you're a voice for ag. You always have been. It's, it's, it's like the guys when I was running for office in and, and the Farm Bureau office there in Hale County, our home county he he we we were talking about crop insurance policy and the plc versus the arc and all these nuanced and uh, policy technicality farm bill and they were 
you know, challenging me to see what I knew about them and what position I was taking. And, and then one old boy just looked at me and said, I just want to know if you love agriculture. And, and that's, 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 that's what we've got on our side. We've got guys like you, guys like Tom Selvin, folks like Steve Barrett, uh, Mike Conaway. Uh, I mean, Tim Lust was up here today fighting for sorghum. We've got, we've got people that love agriculture. They love agriculture because of what it means to this country and, and what it means to uh, the identity and the livelihood of, of regions in rural America like West Texas. So you just can't ever send anybody up here that's any less than sold out in terms of their love for agriculture and their belief in what it means to this country. And so we're, you're right, it's a team effort. And thank God for Mike Conaway being helm, and thank God for, for a lot of folks who paved the way for a, a new member of Congress to to come in and, and do everything I could. But And Mr. Dawson County, paid. Sean Holliday. I mean, who would have known that Dawson County would make the country turn? But uh, you know the fact that you got a, a Dawson County boy and a Hale County boy working uh, to do big things like restore cotton to the farm, build safety net, and uh, you know, and 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 get uh, a bill that's going to work, and and it is, and it's something we all ought to be proud of. Again, Larry Compest, man, he's he's done more and probably forgotten more than than I know today. But but it's a, they're big shoes for me to fill in terms of ag policy, and I did, and I hope you know we're making everybody proud back home, and then most importantly, we're making a difference so that your kids, Jay, and my kids can can live in a in a West Texas that is growing and prospering, and uh, because it feeds everything, you know that most people don't see Texas Tech and they see the healthcare uh, hub and, and the activities all throughout Lubbock. And, and the hospitals and healthcare sector. The fact is, you take cotton away, and we were there. I mean, we really were. You you didn't get it restored in the safety net. Um, you you would see a fundamental shift in our economy. No, no. You don't have cotton. You don't have agriculture. There's no Texas Tech. You know, forty thousand by twenty twenty. You know, growth, and uh, we we certainly would not be the hub of healthcare because it's just that billions of dollars flowing throughout our economy and, well uh, you know it you know it, it as well as anybody. here's the thing i want you to start wavering on i want the amendment that uh that you're going to require the lord to make it rain here in the next month <laughs> this guy this guy in abilene i was going to farm and ranch uh show and and he, it had started raining and it hadn't rained in a while this was several months ago and he said you going to take credit for the rain? I said, Dadgummit, I'm not a politician. I'm going to take credit for the rain. He said, well, you better because when the drought comes, you're going to be blamed for it. So, uh, no, we, we pray for rain, and uh, we're doing everything we can, and I'm just grateful that you guys let me do it. Um, well, so. it's always good to have you on, Congressman. I tend to think that this thing's going to drag out. This is just my assessment. I think this is going to drag out. Um, 
at least until the midterms and then thereafter. I think uh, Steve Rett was right yesterday on the program that the Democrats don't want this left on their plate. If they if they were to win one of the houses, uh, one of the chambers, they don't want that left on their plate. So I think this is a long time coming, but I do appreciate you making time for so much time, walking, uh, bailing from committee to be with us, important audio. I know a lot of people listen to it. So I appreciate you. I'm sure that your Ann is uh, texting you. I know that Mrs. Leeson would like for me to come home, so I'm, I'm going to cut it short. Well, thanks, here. thanks for the thanks for the opportunity. Always, always enjoy talking to you, and and thanks for the opportunity to visit with your oh. listeners, and and uh, we'll keep pushing. Hope springs eternal uh, for me, and uh, I'm just believing that we can get this thing done and 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 start taking some pressure off these producers that are already, you know already feeling a lot of a lot of heat and from a lot of directions from trade and weather etc so hey god bless and, and go west texas he is congressman jody errington appreciate you making time we'll talk to you soon so that uh a bonus version here on other side of texas putting in some overtime important conversation for you to hear and uh we will be keeping up with i do i want to say that we're going to keep up with all this i'm not but again you go follow ce boudreau on twitter and uh just put if you're really geeking out on farm policy and what's going on with farm bill in the senate just turn on her notifications you don't have twitter account it's 2018 it's time to get one hey this edition is done now And we look forward to being with you tomorrow here at same time, right here in these same famous studios. Thank you for sharing the program. I was just Hope you enjoyed it. Talk with you tomorrow right here, AM 580. Lost to James Dean and rock and roll. I knew down.